Hi, I'm Steve Bradley, pastor here at City Life Church, and I'm here with three friends of mine who we're going to have some discussion tonight. Obviously, there's a lot of things going on in our nation, right in the middle of a pandemic, obviously, but a lot of things shift and change with the flow of what's going on. And so right now, we're going to have a discussion just in regard to some of the things that we're seeing Uh, a lot of focus on, and it has been for many years, but I think it's really important for us to talk about this issue of racism, prejudice, bias, those kinds of things and what's going on in our nation. And it's good for us to have this conversation. So I just want to introduce the three guys who are with me here today. We have Miguel Stansbury right here, over on the other side of him, Jimmy Williams. And then we have Napoleon Parker over here. And uh, these guys are all police officers, of course, but more than that, they're great men. And and I respect them highly and appreciate them so much and for their friendship. And we go back probably 11 and a half years, I'm thinking when I showed up at the department and kind of hung around there and eventually they decided to do the badge thing on me to be a reserve officer. So these guys were were there when I got there and uh, all of them have been very kind to me through the process because a little interesting being a pastor and a police officer during those years. Then once that program ended, becoming a chaplain in the community and so forth. So we've spent a lot of time together over the years, working together on the streets and then just having conversations. And so I thought it would be really cool if, if we got together and just had a discussion tonight, just kind of go through a, a few thoughts and allow them to speak through some ideas. I. I was just thinking, guys, about this when I was driving here today. What an incredible thought to think of history, go back 400 years, right? We go back 400 years when slavery slavery was introduced to our country and it was accepted and became part of life uh, in our country. And that went on for like 225 years, uh, if my memory serves me correct. So we back in, I think, 1619 and then all the way up to... It was 1865, I think, or somewhere in there, where finally then slavery was abolished. But unfortunately, the things when when regards to the racism, all the stuff, being able to uh, have discrimination was still legal in the sense that you could still discriminate, which was unfortunate because I'm thinking, looking back and reviewing history, that went on for 100 years. And then we had the civil rights movement back in 1964 that began to shift some things and bring things in, you know, some attention to that. And but that's 55 years ago. And here we're still sitting today and we're talking about things that the needle hasn't moved very far. I mean, we've seen some success in this, but there's still a long ways to go. And so I I just have a real heart to connect and try to do what I can. And I know you guys are certainly there. And uh, I know for Miguel and Napoleon, you guys have a a perspective that I want to hear personally, because I'm in this learning mode. And so am I going to stumble a few times and maybe ask the wrong question or, or do something wrong trying to help, you know, in my community? I probably will, but hopefully we're able to, to kind of do some stuff together. And so in that process, I'm just asking everybody that's out there, please, please be open-minded in this. And I, I get this as somebody who's thought through this process and I've had myself have made the mistake of thinking everything is a certain way because I'm coming at it from a white kid who grew up in this area. I grew up here and I never knew anything about this because it wasn't a part of my life. I, I got out of bed every morning. I didn't think about uh, what was going to happen, you know, that day based on somebody's bias. And that wasn't a part of my life. And so I'm sitting here today learning a lot of things. And so I, I just encourage people to be open minded in the, the process of what we talk about today and, and what these guys have to say. I think it's really important. And then continue the process in that. And so I just want to start off, with, I think, with the first thing was just Again, understanding racism is taught, and, I, and that's a, the unfortunate thing that people continue through the generations for whatever reason they teach their kids about this and that this, these people are, are bad or they're a problem or this or whatever it is, and so it continues through the generations. I guess my question is, has there ever been a generation since all of this has been going on that has, has moved the needle or been successful in, in addressing this if they're as, you know, what did that look like? Or if, if they haven't done that, why not? And, and what's going on with that? So just kind of open that to you guys. 
Well, before you answer the question, I just want to preface this with, you said a lot of things and, you know, it's important to go into this understanding that there are so many things that can be covered, so many narratives, so many different branches of, of this topic that we could not possibly yeah. cover it all. So it's important to go into this conversation knowing that. And then you said a couple of things. I mean, you, you mentioned some, some really good things about history, right? And uh, you mentioned like the, the 400 years, you know, and then leading up to the civil rights movement in 1964, 65 era. And that's important to take into consideration too when you're talking about this stuff because yes, it slavery was a long time ago, but the people's inherent right to vote has been suppressed and oppressed for far longer than that, mm -hmm. all the way up until, like you said, 1964, 65. So it's very fresh in our minds. That's 16 years before I was born. You know, that's not a long time. So yeah, it's important. I was a kid. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's important to understand that it's fresh in our minds when we go <laughs> about talking about this because people tend to dismiss it as like something that happened so long ago, but but it's not. So I, and I just wanted to preface that with that. We won't be able to cover the, the yeah. whole topic of everything. We'll do yeah. our best to kind of give our perspectives, but it's important to understand that there's so many things <laughs> that we can't cover right here. Yeah. But one, one thing I like that you said is listen and learn. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the mode I'm in, same as you. Yeah. And I'm very fortunate that a lot of people don't have uh, good friends that like I have, like Miguel Napoin here. And I'm lucky that I can sit down and speak with my heart and talk to the guys and say, hey, tell me exactly why, when, and all these things. And at one time I didn't understand. And it was, you can say I was naive, but the same thing as you. I, I woke up every, every day, put on my shoes, didn't have a worry in the world, mm -hmm. besides being late to work, and that's about it. I had no clue that there could be other struggles or other obstacles in the way. So if everybody that's listening to this today can do the same thing that uh, Steve says, just listen and learn. And I think for me, it broadened my education, broadened things I know, and I'm hoping um, I'm getting to the point where I understand where I can be, not change who I am, but understand where other people come from, because it's not all about me, it's about everybody trying to stick together and be together. Mm -hmm. And one thing that you said is, you know, you were, you're probably gonna say things wrong or say the wrong thing, and you're maybe worried about offending yeah. African-Americans, right? Mm -hmm. Well, of the messages or the conversations that I've had with a lot of white people is just that. Well, I don't know if I, if I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to offend someone. Am I going to make this person mad? Am I saying the right thing? Just know, yeah, you are going to say the wrong thing at some point, but that's okay because you should be saying whatever's on your mind, whatever's on your heart. Because at the end of the day, if you're saying something, we're having a conversation and that's been the problem. We haven't been having conversations. We haven't been discussing these things because it's uncomfortable for certain people and that's fine. But we can't use that as an excuse anymore. And we've got to have these tough conversations and you've got to be okay with knowing that you, you may say the wrong thing and that's okay. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. So kind of back to the question in the sense of, and I appreciate what you guys are all saying. Has there, has there ever been a generation that seemed to have kind of figured out, Hey, we need to do something. And they started doing something at some point in history. Has there ever been that? I mean, we have the civil rights movement, but what, I don't think it's ever ended. I think from the time of reconstruction after, you know, post-civil war, I, I think that that struggle has been even, even before that, it's always been there, right? And your question was, has has any generation ever moved the needle? You know, that term, right? And it's funny that we use that term because we were just talking, I think uh, earlier, we we're talking about the Selma marches, right? In the, um, which we, we alluded to with talking about the civil rights movement in 1964, 65. And depicted in that movie that we were just talking about, they actually use that term, move the needle, right? When they were, were talking about the uh, dialogue between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and who's moved the needle more for, okay. for African-Americans in, in the country, right? And I, I say, yes. I mean, we wouldn't be sitting here right now, you know, together like we are if no one moved the needle. So the needle's moved, but is that enough is what people are asking. Because if you go back, it's not like those things didn't happen. They didn't happen overnight and they didn't happen without struggle. The folks in the civil rights movement had to force the hand of the U.S. government, you know, there were too many people that 
were just remaining silent because it didn't affect them, I believe. Um, and it wasn't until they had to force the hand of the U.S. government and kind of paint them in the corner that they did get the needle moved because it was always, okay, well, we did this. Just wait on those rights and we'll get to that when, when we can, which is not the right answer. Mm. Um, and then in this generation, just today, I'm looking at, you know, people are like, what good is the protests that are going on today? I mean, a lot of people don't condone violence. I don't want to even get into that topic right now because there's so many things to be said about that. But people will say, well, what's coming out of these, you know, these protests across the country? Well, today, NASCAR, NASCAR is one of the least integrated sports, right? And, and it's known that there are a lot of bigots in NASCAR. They just ban the Confederate flag at all NASCAR events. The Marine Corps just banned the, the Confederate flag uh, on, on their posts. The Navy's looking at it the same thing, right? And that's a flag that has been a symbol of racism, you know, since yeah. since the Civil, Civil War. War yeah. And it's been used as a symbol of hatred. For that to take that long for that's, people that's to ban That's my that. question. Why did it take so long? You right. know, but I'm but, glad it's happened. But those are the things that are coming from people yeah. protesting. And now it's coming to light. And now it's a viral thing that the racial injustices that are still here and still present today. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, people have moved the needle. And, um, yeah, no. you know, it needs to go even further. And why is it taking so long? Because the majority of people that are the oppressors, they're the majority. And the minority, it's hard for the minority to move the needle. We can't make the oppressors not sure. oppress. Sure. Right? So it's the majority that needs to conform. And for so long, there have been a lot of moderates who have seen it, they've been a part of it, and they haven't said anything. They've sat silent, which is just as bad as almost the oppressors. They're watching it happen, it's in front of their face, and they're, they've chosen for so many years to be silent, and silence is not moving the needle. Right. So until the majority conforms, that needle's not gonna move much more than what it is right now. And, you and it's taken this new generation, like you said, it's taken this new generation to not only move the needle, they're kicking the door in. <laughs> they are kicking the door in. I mean, could you ever imagine there would be a global pandemic, and now this? were before, and we've seen it, we've seen a lot of police brutality, we've seen all these racial situations that have happened, people are upset for a short amount of times, then they go on with their life. Now we're in a global pandemic to where now we're forced to sit down, look at these issues, and actually take action. It's the perfect storm. Yeah. And you can argue that, like you just said about the majority, you can argue that each time the needle has moved, it's been because of the fact, I think, and I don't want to misquote him, you know, Martin Luther King during that whole time, but he wanted the, the press, the publicity. He was nonviolent, but he knew that, and he used some term like in something to the effect of tugging on the ethical sensibility of, you know, the majority or the, the white people in America. You know, it, it isn't until then that the needle will move, you know, and that's ultimately what happened, you know, with the Selma marches, you know, you can argue that each time we've had progress, it's because that majority has seen the oppression like firsthand, you know, in your face kind of thing. Good point. Yeah. And I think the social media and things like that. Now, people who normally wouldn't have information are seeing the information also back in the 60s and earlier the newspaper would put something out, but not everybody in the world would see it. And so now I think the word is spread and it's, it's global. Everybody is seeing what's going on. So I think people are able to almost, it's not firsthand, but they're seeing it live or on TV. And so things are easier to believe when you can see it instead of hearing it. So Yeah. Hey, so I want to ask you two guys, Miguel and Napoleon, just... So you're seeing this out, okay? I am seeing. No, it's doubling. Doubling you out. Okay. <clears throat> your experience of your own lives as civilians, where you've been mistreated in some way out in public or wherever because of the color of your skin. Give us a couple things. I think this is important to people. Sure. Because white people, we don't experience that, right? Right. That's just a fact. And you know why we don't? Because between he and I, we've got stories for days, right? Yeah. You know why we don't really talk about it? Because the times we have tried. We've been minimized. We've been called liars. We've been told that we're just blowing things out of proportion for attention. We've completely been shut down. And that's why we really haven't even spoken out about a lot of these things. Because generally when we're having these conversations with white people, their initial reaction is, no, that doesn't happen. I've never seen that. Well, of course you haven't. Why would you say yeah, it? And they're so afraid of being labeled as being a racist that they're acknowledging what has happened to us. 
that they won't even entertain that that could possibly happen. So and, Jimmy and I are asking. Yes. So I think it's important. He said something important, right? And, and it's because it's uncomfortable for people to hear that it actually happens and they don't want to believe it. Sure. And there are a lot of things that African-Americans do that we were taught, you know, or we were inherently taught, you know, without being, you know, like aware of it that we do. And one of the things is maybe changing the way we talk or maybe not talking about certain experiences as to not make people uncomfortable. Oh, okay. And you're seeing a lot of that being reversed right now because people are saying, you know, it's time to not be silent, right? And Jimmy is in a unique position because we vacationed together, we've done things together. And it wasn't until Jimmy actually saw those things firsthand that he was like, oh my God. And he never realized that, I mean, he probably knew it happened in the world, you know, but he never saw it firsthand until, you know, we were on our motorcycle rides and we're mm -hmm. in the middle of nowhere, you know, where we weren't welcomed. Um, give, give us a, just maybe a touch on a story that you're talking about right well, there. I, and I will. Oh, um, hold on. But well, other, let me finish my point, my initial point. When you hear these stories coming from African-Americans, listen. Don't minimize. Don't act like it didn't happen. Just listen. Listen, absorb it, and maybe share it with whoever you need to share it with when they are saying that things, things when these things don't happen. Go ahead. I can even tell a story about you guys coming from come from me, things that I've witnessed. Okay, well, let's go been, first. I'm just saying. <laughs> go ahead. I mean, I can... Do you guys remember when we were on our motorcycle trip and we were down south and it was us, Tom, and I think, was it Bremer with us? Anyways. We the names it. have been changed to protect the innocent. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Yes. And so those are different names. Anyways, we were at that small little place in a small town towards Mount St. Helens. That's the best way to say it. And we went to this little restaurant. We went inside to get something to eat. Remember the guy who went like this? Yes. And now you know where I'm at. Yes. So we're in there, and we're the first people to get in. There's like five of us guys. We're having fun. Uh, we're just on our motorcycle. We wanted to stop get something to eat. We're the first ones in there. We're the first ones to sit down. First, I forgot to say is the lady that was there, she saw us walk in and she disappeared. Poof. Didn't know where she went. So we're standing at the front counter for a while, for a while, for a while. And then some guy yells out from the kitchen, just find a seat type deal. So we go find a seat. We all go sit down. Nobody came to ask us if we wanted a drink or anything like that. And then a couple more customers come in, maybe two sets of other customers come in. That lady was right there in a second, grabbed those customers, sat them down, and they had their drinks before she even came to our table and said hello. Mm -hmm. So I actually oblivious, thinking the lady just forgot about us. And so I'm kind of, hey, hello. And so I go over there and talk to them, and she comes over and gives us some drinks. Fine. So we were, we were sitting there for so long, we pretty much knew we were going to order already. So we just got our drinks, ordered our food real quick because we wanted to get back on our motorcycles and get out of here. And so we order all our stuff and we're sitting there and no food, no food, no food. And the other, the other tables got served, no food. Until we, I finally had to go up there and say, what's going on? And we ended up getting our food, but I'm not joking. We got our food, it was cold. Like it was sitting on the table, up on the tray real quick. We got our food, it was cold. Never came back to give us drinks or anything. So I don't even think anybody ate the, all their food because I'm guessing it was just sitting on the tray. We all had hamburgers and fries, just simple stuff that normally is easy and quick to cook and get in five to 10 minutes. We probably sat there for 40 minutes before we got it and it was cold. And I'm still thinking, oh my God, this girl must be new. But then after we left and I'm thinking about it, I'm like, well, I put it together. And you know, at that moment, I probably didn't realize it until I've spent more time with these guys and I started seeing something else. Then I saw something else happen. And then it finally clicked to me where wow, this is really happening and where I live. And you don't think stuff like that happens in Washington. And I've lived other places before and I've seen it plain view in other places. And when I came here, it was the first time I've ever seen it that day. Mm. And that was probably about 10 years ago. And that's just a mild example, right? Yeah. So exactly. it's important to point out that I grew up in South Georgia, was born in South Georgia, grew up in Metro Atlanta area, and did live other places, including like overseas for six years because my father was in the military, but I spent most of my life in Georgia. I probably have completely different experiences than the rest of these guys, yet... Miguel grew up, you know, in mostly Washington, some in California, right, in the West Coast. 
it's important to note that even though geographically we come from really different places, we still have some of the same experiences. Mm. And this is a phenomenon across the United States is when you talk to another black person, we automatically connect because we've been taught the same things mm. family wise. Mm. And we've had similar experiences in life, you That's know, and, and it's an interesting phenomenon, you, no matter where you go, you know, there are some outliers, you know, of people that probably were raised a little bit differently uh, for life circumstances. But in, in the most part, 90 some percent of black folks would have the same experiences. Me, personally, I've been called the N-word more times than I can count, both civilian in a military uniform and in a police uniform still. I've been warned that I was going to be assaulted for dating a white girl. I've been kept a secret from a, a girl's family because she couldn't tell her family that we were dating, mm. things like that. You know, uh, I've been shown the Confederate flag, you know, as a as a warning sure. not to come in some place or that they're watching me or something like that. You know, we don't make these things up. Right. Mm. And then the most visceral thing that, that I can think of. And there's a lot. Right. And I can't even like, you know, I can't even sit here and pinpoint all of them. And the most visceral thing that I can think of, and I was just talking to my sister about this the other day because my dad brought it up because we had all forgot about it. And I'll preface this with saying, you know, sometimes things like, like what Jimmy explained, people are like, well, maybe that's just coincidence. Maybe that person was having a bad day. Maybe they just was bad service, right? Well, when you have a lot of coincidences, what is that called? It's yeah. called a pattern, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't be oblivious to it. But uh, back to my story, the most visceral memory I had, right, was... In college, you know, I think I was seven, I was probably 19 at the time, right? And I, I went to, to school in northern Georgia in a small town, and it's just north of Forsyth County, which everybody, Forsyth County, Georgia is very popular because Oprah went there mm -hmm. because they were trying to ban black people from the entire county. Wow. And Oprah went there and confronted them and had a big show about it, right? So this is up in that area. But I was pulled over. I was leaving the Walmart parking lot and was pulled over right when I was leaving the parking lot because I didn't have my seatbelt on yet and was in the process of putting it on. And I'm in a military uniform going up to a military school. And the guy gets my, you know, stuff and everything. And then come to find out my license was suspended, right? I didn't know because I, I got a ticket when I was like 16, yeah, just got my license. My dad was like, oh, I'll pay it. And he forgot, you know, never, never really thought about it. Okay, whatever. But he arrested me, right? And, you know, maybe that's their procedure, right? Because now I'm in law enforcement, I understand. Yes. Sometimes people get a physical arrest, sometimes they get a citation. But they arrested me, right? And they put me in handcuffs, you know, took me to the jail. But one thing that they did was they shackled me, you know, hands and feet and shackled me. It, and it was almost like they paraded me around the station and some of the officers in there were laughing and pointing and whatever. So to me, I knew that that wasn't the proper procedure for them to do. You know, they fingerprinted me, do all that stuff, right? And now that I'm in law enforcement, I'm like, when would you ever shackle somebody hands and feet for a suspended driving citation? Even if that's a physical arrest where you book them. Right. I know that now, but I didn't know that at the time. And the only reason I felt like it was wrong, but I still didn't really get it. And it wasn't until I called my dad, you know, I'm like, hey, can somebody bail me out, whatever. One of my advisors from the college came and bailed me out because my family's too far away. But, but when I told my dad about it, he was livid. He blew up. I didn't understand until he was explaining to me, you know, what had happened to me. And it stuck with me still to this day. And it's one of the reasons, amongst many, that I'm in the profession that I'm in today. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of one of the things that I remember. No, I mean, I appreciate that. Well, you have a Confederate flag story, or were you thinking sure. of a different one? Oh, I, I mean, you can pick. <laughs> so, I'll, I'll bring it back to when I was in high school. So, my sophomore year in high school on the football team, we played, our, our rival was, was Eatonville, hmm. which I had never even heard of before. On the way to Mount Rainier, right? Exactly. Before, you know, high school. Yeah. And it's a country town in the middle of nowhere. Literally, it's at the bottom of Mount Rainier. And I've heard stories about how racist this town was and everything like that. And you know, like the old movies where the town shuts down and there's signs in the uh, in the window that says, go on to the game and all that. That's how that town was. And when you go into the town, and this is going to sound completely corny and made up, but it's the truth. When you go into the town, you see these signs on all these old buildings like it's a movie. And you see the glow of the stadium because all the lights are off. They do it on purpose. They cut all the lights in the business off. They shut the street lights off so you see nothing but the glow of the stadium when you go in. Well, at least they did back then. So we get there. 
and the entire stadium is packed. The track is completely lined with people from Eatonville. And then the locker room is in a separate building from the field. So you have to walk down this pathway to get to the locker room. And as we're walking down to the locker room, they're lined with people from Eatonville. And they're yelling, nigger, 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 super quiet, just so the players can hear it. Because we were a predominantly black school. And this mm. is what they're, these are kids. So we go to the locker room, change, come back out, same thing on the way out. After the game is over, and of course we got destroyed because the focus is just clearly not there when you're going through this stuff. Oh. And when we're getting hit out of bounds and we, the ball would go into the track, they're yelling all these crazy slurs and all this. So anyways, we get on the bus, game's over, and the people surround our bus and they're rocking our bus. Literally like rocking our bus, screaming all these crazy things. Long story short, the state patrol had to come and escort us out. Five cars, two in the front, two in the back, and one on the side wow. to block the other oncoming traffic road off. So that's how we got out of Eatonville. So that was like the first time I really experienced it as a sophomore in high school. What are you, 14, 15, something, whatever that is. <clears throat> so then another time on the football team, I think it was the same year. So we're playing Ording, and that's like in the bottom valley of Puyallup. And some little girls were walking, and this is before the game, so we're in the, state, in the stands before we even went to the locker room to get changed for the game. We had just gotten off the bus, and this little girl was talking to her three friends. and goes, hey, I need a quarter to call my mom. That's how old I am because there was pay phones. There was no cell phones. And she needed a quarter to call her mom on the pay phone, and the girls, her two friends said she didn't have one. So I go, here you go. And she goes, nigger, and they took off running. So you talk about racism being learned. Mm. This girl's too young to even really know what that means or even understand it. And this is what she said and ran. So that's crazy. But the Confederate flag you're talking about, and trust me, we can go on days for this. The Confederate flag, we went to Leavenworth for the lighting of the Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. So the whole kind of the whole town. The whole town's there and all that stuff. So we see the Christmas tree, it's snowing. I'm like, we gotta get the, we gotta get out of here. It was cold. You know, uh, you know, I don't deal with the cold too well. So anyways, we, we hightailed out of there after the tree got lit. And then we ended up stopping in a small town between Leavenworth and I-90. I can't remember the name of the town. Anyways, we stopped at this gas station to get gas. And there's no one there except one SUV. It's a black Tahoe. And there's a guy out there pumping gas. So we pull up right behind because our gas tanks are obviously on the same side. I pull up behind and I got my daughter in the car. I got her friend in the car and me and my wife and I. Pull up behind the car, and as I, you know, get, get my wallet and whatnot to go pump the gas, the guy, he's got the gas pump in his truck. He walks around the back, and he wipes off the area by the rear windshield wiper. And we're like, what is he doing? Because we're thinking he's just going to clear the snow off the entire window. Sure. He didn't. He just cleared off a small section, and in that section was a Confederate flag. So he wipes off the Confederate flag to show me, looks at us, and then goes inside goes inside and doesn't even come back out until we're gone. His wife, son, and daughter, who were probably about that big, were in the store while he was pumping gas. He goes in the store while they're coming out, and he made them wait outside while he stayed in the, tro in the store until we wow. came out. So for my daughter, that was the first time she it really had to experience racism because she's not dark. So a lot of people don't even know she's black. So she really hasn't had a lot of the experiences that you know, that we are sharing right now. So that was really her first time, you know, seeing racism right in front of your face. So wow. imagine that. Yeah. You know, so. No, I, I mean, I appreciate it because I think people need to hear this stuff. I've been called, people have called the police on me in uniform. Oh, I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, so, and that's not, that's not and uncommon. That's, that is not uncommon. Multiple of our officers, black officers, have been, had the police called on them in uniform. And Plus, one, one, time, one time I was actually with another officer on the same call and a lady called up and said, there's a black man in my front yard with a gun. And so our dispatch dispatched it out. And I'm like, radio, that's me and my partner. Yeah. And we had shirts that said police yeah. Yeah. on the front and the back. And the officer he was with was in full uniform. Yes. Yeah. Full uniform. I was in attack gear, but it said police. But this officer had a full uniform on. But here's the issue with some of those things, right? And you say racism is taught. Sometimes it's overtly taught, you know, and passed down. Sure. But what people are bringing to light now is the thing about systemic racism, institutionalized racism, the way in which America was founded and structured is you inherently teach racist practices and it's inherently embedded. 
And that's what we are trying to come together to root out. Mm-hmm. And it's not until you have conversations like this that you can actually talk about those things. Because we've talked about some some things that people have said and done and not really realize that they're perceived as racist, right? But here's the other problem. This is the problem that we have, you know, with we're trying to educate, you know, friends of ours, associates, coworkers, whatever you want to want to call them. People see they hear about instances where we're in full police uniforms, marked patrol cars, and we we experience racism while we're doing the job. And instead of them standing up and doing what's right, they go, ha, that's really funny that that happened to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's bad. And then they just go on with their life, right? Mm-hmm. So that is what this generation is trying to fix. And that's why people are so upset. And that's why they're calling on people to have these conversations and to speak out. Make Go beyond your comfort level now and talk about these things. And that's what it is. I think most people are uncomfortable and they don't know how to respond to yeah. it. Yeah. And if we can get those conversations open and they understand that Napoleon would love it if I stuck up for him. Miguel would love it if Absolutely. I stuck up for him. Absolutely. But then being an officer, being all class A type guy. You did stick up for us. Tell that story. Which one? I can't remember. There's about, been so many. We actually spoke about it earlier today. I remember when we were discussing the whole issues, when the light bulbs really turned on for you at work and you defended us. By just basically telling people to do the research and uh, the backlash you got for that. Is that a couple of years ago? Mm-hmm. So I'm lucky because I can sit and we were partners for a while and we would be able to go in each other's office. And two years ago when we were having some issues, same type of thing, maybe three years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and I like to go in his office and kind of be like a soundboard and, hey, explain mm-hmm. to me. I, I I'm not understanding, okay? Well, he had awesome stuff in his office. It was a good place right. to hang out, the and, fireplace and all and that. And I'm not going to lie. When <laughs> when things first came out and something we can get into later, like when the Black Lives Matter, when, when that slogan came out, I mean, I don't know, whenever it came out three, four years ago, and I'll admit it, I felt like it was a, like punching me in the face. Like, why are you saying that? Well, and everybody would, the cliche everybody would say is, well, all lives matter. Mm-hmm. And I was one of those people and I'm saying it too. And, and that was mainly a lot of our talks and we can get to, into that in a little while. But remember when uh, Colin Kaepernick took the knee? Mm-hmm. That was our main discussion and it pissed me off. I mean, my dad was in the military for 26, 28 years or something like that. And and I was an army kid and I grew up and was in base. And, and when we were kids, when flag went up, we all had to stand outside the house and, and everybody, and when you're on base, everybody stop had a car, get everybody car. had to stop and when you're on base and all that stuff. And then the if, movie theater. If, if you're in school, like sometimes when some school starts early, the flag was at, sometimes it was at seven and sometimes it was at eight o'clock, depends on the day. And if we're in school and it's eight o'clock, we all had to stand up in school, stop whatever we're doing. If we're in the field and if we were walking and someone caught us walking, we would get in trouble. Sure. So the flag is a very honorable thing to me, and it's a, it makes me think of my dad. So that's my big thing. And so for me, I would never take a knee, but I had to ask him, I'm like, what is this all about? And so he explained it to me in terms that I could understand mm-hmm. and, and just broke it down. And at this point, this is the first time I listened because all I was doing is reading headlines, reading the captions, just seeing things, just seeing pictures and not reading articles and asking why did he take a knee? Mm-hmm. Explain it. When Miguel explained it all, it was like, wow. And showed you the video. And showed me the video. So one day I decided to, and, 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 and it, everything just kind of went ding, ding, ding. And I was like, you know what? That's honorable. So... I posted something on Facebook and all it said is something of the sort, I would never take a knee, but has anybody watched the full video and the explanation on why Colin Kaepernick took a knee? And I, and I attached a video, I go watch this video and see if it changes your mind or enlightens you to understand why he did it. And I said something like, please don't, please don't respond unless you watch the video. And I think I said, if you want to talk, I'll talk to you in person or something like that. No joke. Within hours, I was having, you can call it hate mail or whatever, but people were, people I know, people that were my friends and people, colleagues or whatever, and people I went to school with were just putting all this hate stuff on there. Mm. Like quick, like not even enough time for them to even read the articles because it was like, I can't remember how many minutes it was. It was 14 minutes. 14 minutes. Like within five minutes, I was getting all this stuff. Mm. I'm like, wow. 
I, and I couldn't believe it. And I didn't say anything derogatory. I didn't put my opinion down. I didn't say, all I did is challenged my Facebook friends. Hey, watch this video and, and see, if, see if it changes something for you. And that was it. And within minutes, I was just getting stuff. So it was kind of disheartening in a minute for me because I was like, wow, I couldn't believe it how quickly people changed just for me putting something out. Yeah. So let's go there, you guys. So explain why the statement Black Lives Matter is important and why the statement All Lives Matter isn't helpful. So maybe you could... I think we talked about, you know, I think some of the stuff that we've talked about up until now has kind of, you know, pointed to the, the, the reason why. And it's because, you know, every time it seems like the black community stands up and it's like, hey, we matter. We're Americans. You know, we deserve the same rights and the same treatment. It's always shut down, right? It's always, what about this? Like I was saying, how we get minimized when we tell these right. our stories. And they've labeled it now, what aboutism or how, howeverism, you know, is what's going viral now on the internet. But it, it's always a but or what about, right? So when the Black Lives Matter movement started, and it started as a group, and if you haven't looked it up, you know, you can look it up. The founders started as a group, but now it's it's still a group, but it's more of a movement because it's a hashtag activism, which has its own issues with, you know, centralized themes and stuff. But that's besides the point. It's just drawing attention to the plights that African-Americans have had to endure throughout the history of this country, right? And for somebody to say, come back, instead of just listening to you and, and why, they come back with all lives matter or, you know, with, with other things. Which is a direct um, attack on black lives matter because no one ever said all lives matter until black lives matter came. Sure. And that's a complete direct way so, to minimize and shut down what we're saying. It doesn't feel like they're trying to one up. A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. And, and there've been a bunch of analogies out there that people have thrown out there on the internet. And, you know, they say like, you know, if you talk about like, okay, well, breast cancer awareness, you know, what about these cancers? You know, where that's like almost the same thing. It's, it's completely different. It's apples and oranges, but there's a bunch of analogies out there like that. They kind of try to explain it. And it's hurtful because it feels like you're not listening when you say, hey, we feel this way and this is why we feel this way. And I understand that somebody in our community, as far as um, in our profession, I understand why they took offense to it initially, because there was a lot of things centered around the hatred for police officers. And, you know, there was a lot of misplaced rage for all police officers. And that's a whole nother topic. You know, we haven't even hit on that yeah, stuff yet. Yeah. There's so, so many things to be talked about with that. But it was like a, a direct attack on what we were trying to bring attention to. And people have used it kind of like they use the Confederate flag as hate speech or, or hatred. Some people have used it for that reason, right? So saying all lives matter is almost like when Miguel had the Confederate flag wiped off, you know, in front of him just to show you, you know, mm -hmm. to be to be quiet, you yeah. know? So that's kind of how it feels. I mean, in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. I'll give you one of those analogies like you're talking about. And we covered this one of the many times you and I have had this conversation, in fact, here in the church. Yeah. So if your house is on fire and it's a full blaze and the fire truck shows up and starts pouring water on everyone else's house, you'd be like, what are you doing? Right. Black lives is that house that's on fire. We're the ones who are on fire and need help right now to get where everyone else already is. So what we're saying is pour the water on us. Of course, if the fire jumps to the house next door and across the street, yeah, of course, you're going to get water, too. But right now, this house is on fire. This house is the house that needs attention from the fire department. Mm -hmm. So if that makes sense, that's yeah. the analogy that I always use yeah. when it comes no, to that. That's, that's right. Great. And I ask the, both these guys thousands of questions. And everybody has to kind of wrap their brain around it their own way because everybody thinks differently and kind of has their own way of figuring things out. And for me, after reading and talking to both these guys and understanding what they've gone through and understanding what a lot of people have gone through is this world has always kept uh, black people under society, like lower than the white guy or are not as good or not as equal and can't live up to the same standards and thing like that. And that's how society has always treated them. And for me, the way I look at it is, and I told you both this probably, is 
they're not saying just their lives matter. They're saying black lives matter too. Black lives matter also. Black lives matter just as much as you type deal. That's how I kind of think about it myself. But they're saying it because they're the ones, like he said, under the hot seat now. They're the ones that when things happen, they're not getting justice or things are, are getting like, I don't know, swept under the rug and thing like that. And they're just trying to say, hey, we're here too. Pay attention to us because we matter and we want to be a part of everybody else type deal. And I don't know if I'm far off or <laughs> totally no, you're, wrong, you're on, but, but I'm, but that's kind of how I kind of think about it and rationalize it. And I think it's easier to understand for me at least. And the, the reason why is because I'm a white guy. And like I said, in the beginning, I took offense to it. And same thing is like, well, I matter. Mm -hmm. uh, this person matter. Blue lives matter. All that stuff. But then once I realized what it meant, I felt comfortable with even acknowledging it and talking about it and, and understanding what it means. And it's one of those things where I can put myself in his place, right? Because the profession that we have, that we share that, that kind of understanding, is that some people can get offended because of the spark that sparked that movement, you know, that group was police brutality. So it almost seemed like, or it was initially in relation to that. Sure. People have to understand that now it's morphed into something more than that, right? Mm -hmm. It's morphed into something that, like I like alluded to before, yeah. is we've always had to stay silent. We've always had to like prevent people from feeling uncomfortable. And, you know, Miguel can tell you, we've had to dress a certain way. It's not, sometimes we even do it without being told. And I told Jimmy this, I said, you're one, of, these are some of my best friends, right? The way I am with you, I can kind of be myself, but I'm like, sometimes, I may change the way I do things around you and not even realize it. But when we're together, yeah. we, we're completely different. And it's not anything, it's not his fault. And it's not, it's not that I'm doing it on purpose. It just happens. Even Sometimes, today, to, real quick, I was running and I stopped to take a break in between my sprints. And this older white couple came walking my way and I turned down the music of my headphones because I didn't want them to feel uncomfortable about me being two or three times bigger than these small little white people and I had my music loud even though it was in my headphones we're just almost conditioned mm. to act that way think of it this way we are literally being discriminated against constantly whether it's at work which happens like he talked about we're discriminated against in our normal lives and being police officers and being black we also get it from our families there is no escape, mm -hmm. especially right now. There is zero escape for us. So you talk about holding all that stress on us, mm -hmm. right? And we're still conditioned to do things like that, turning down your headphones where they can't even hear your music. So I know we kind of got off the topic, but going back to the Black Lives Matter movement, right? I say that to say we were almost afraid to even say the phrase, right? To even say that we agree with it. 100%. Initially, we didn't. We kept silent, mm -hmm. you know? We didn't want to tell anybody that we even agreed with it. We, we said it in private. We said it to people we knew. But it's a shame when you can't even like tell your coworkers that, yeah, I believe what they're saying because my life does matter. It doesn't say it matters any more than yours. And people feel like it's an attack on them. Like saying it makes, it, makes people feel like maybe being white is bad. No, it's not. You know, you're proud of who you are. I'm proud of who I am. But throughout my life, I've had to tone down who I am, you know, mm -hmm. I've had to be afraid to have my hat backwards because of what people mm -hmm. are going to think, you know, like you said, turn down the music in my, in my car because yep. I didn't want people to think of me a certain way, you yep. know, mm -hmm. and that's a shame, Very you know, it, it's, it's, it's a shame. And, and that's the thing that people are trying to draw attention to is it mm -hmm. should not be that way. And some people might say, well, that's your problem that you feel that way. Well, it's, no, it's not my problem. Mm -hmm. It's the way that we are in society. It's the way things are built. It's the way we are taught. And it's the fact that we won't have the uncomfortable conversations. Yep. So, Well, and I appreciate all that. I do want to kind of shift into the police officer part of it because I'm just reading today because I've, I've been trying to pay attention to this, what's going on. And obviously what was something that started out as a good intention to bring attention to this, all kinds of people have just taken and run rampant with stuff which created stuff that is taking attention away from this whether it's the riots the businesses being looted all that stuff going on which isn't what i don't believe that has to do with what the intent was to try to bring attention to this mm -hmm. so now we have police officers 
who are being hurt, who are being threatened, who are being hit in the hospital. You got hundreds of them across the country. They're scared. Their families are scared. I was reading today of a couple officers that said, I've been doing this for 20 years or whatever, and I'm thinking I got to get out because of fear for my life, for, for my family, all that. So for you guys, it's got to be as police officers right now, maybe Lacey isn't but we're connected to Olympia and there's stuff that goes on no matter where you're at. What are your thoughts? I, I think a lot of police officers are almost connected in a way because a lot of us go to the same academy. A lot of us know each other because of training. And I'm very fortunate where I work right now. I believe our community is awesome and they support us 100%. I'm very fortunate. But my heart spills out there for some of my mm. academy friends that work up in Seattle, yeah. some of my academy friends that are in a different county up in Tacoma, things of that nature. It's very disheartening to see. And my opinion, things I'm seeing is there's people piggybacking off of a great movement and a great reason to be upset and a great reason to protest and speak up. But there's these small groups piggybacking off of them and destructing things and hurting things. And, and what my fear is, is somebody in a small little town is going to be like I said, I used to be before, just read the headline and just read the hashtags. And they're going to see that a building burnt down or something got destroyed and they're automatically going to see Black Lives Matter did it. The black mm -hmm. folk just burned down sure. this church or I'm just whatever this building mm -hmm. because they're going to do what I did before I got educated and learned. And it's very upsetting. And Which is a great point because I was down at those riots in Olympia and the only black person I really saw down there was me. And we're the ones who are going to get black lives matter or black people in general are the ones who are going to get blamed for that. And I'm not saying that there weren't in other parts of the country, mm -hmm. but speaking on my own county yeah. where I'm at, mm -hmm. that's where it was. And some of the, the hateful things these protesters were saying, the only person down there was me was black. Yeah. So in a sense, in my opinion, the, this movement has sort of been hijacked. People yes. are using, like you said, people are using this movement to push their own agenda, to go out there and cause hate and discontent because that's just who they are. They're just not good people. And then, you know, I, I'm going to try to refrain from giving my opinion on like, you know, how headlines are skewed and how messages are skewed because you can have an image and it can have three different angles to it. You can take a still image and you can do that. Messaging is, is, is a very powerful thing. And like you said, like in our profession, and I was in the military, um, still in, in, the, in the National Guard, but in our profession, and just like in the military, it's like we work together. We, it's almost like we are connected more so than our families, yeah, right? It is so, your second family. And that's the, the reason why we feel for people in our profession that have to deal with them. I mean, we've, we've had to deal with it. We've had to respond to, you know, um, civil disturbances and stuff. And I think that there's a, a lot more to be said that can't be like summed up just sitting right here about the actual movement. Like I said, uh, it's so decentralized that anybody can say, hey, I'm supporting this movement and then go spray paint something or break a window, right? right? It doesn't mean they're really part of it. it. doesn't mean they're even advocating for change. Now, what's not drawing, drawing attention to is the people that are sitting down with their city council members, the people that are rallying folks to go and vote and to change their uh, their voice in, in their, their local and state governments, you know, there's not enough attention on that, right? right, right. The, the positive thing you do see though, and the reason why this movement I think is, is like spreading like wildfire is that you've never seen businesses, like we talked about NASCAR, you've never seen businesses and corporations and things like that calling people out for things that they've done. Yes, it has gotten ridiculous in some points, right? Where people are getting a little bit too overly sensitive and you know costing maybe some people their jobs or they're stepping down from positions because they've said something in sure. the past, maybe out of ignorance. Like we talked about this when we started. Mm -hmm. Steve, you're gonna stumble. Yeah. You're not going to say the right thing. Jimmy's gonna stumble. He's not gonna say the right thing, right? We don't fault people for that and you can't. We had a conversation yesterday in which we talked, right? And Jimmy wrote some things and he wanted me to look at it and tell him my point of view. And I gave him my point of view talking about certain things and certain perceptions of what he wrote. And we went on a side topic of talking about uh, a news conference. I hope you don't mind me like, don't mind. Know, bringing this up. We talked about a news conference and Jimmy was talking about how this guy was talking and he's like, man, that guy was like breaking things down. And he was so articulate and like uh, explaining this. And I was like, who is this guy? And he found out he's an attorney, right? 
And we went on with our conversation. And then we started talking about the, the stumbling blocks that people have and not realizing things that they say. And I said, hey, Jimmy, let's go back to that conversation we had about this guy. I said, was that guy black? He goes, yeah, it was. I go, so you said he was very articulate and stuff. Like, it was surprising. He didn't mean it that way, but I, I had to explain to him how that sounded. I had explained to him how many times I've been told that I'm surprisingly articulate or wow. I'm surprisingly yeah. smart. Wow, you're actually really smart. You know, like it's a surprise. Why is that a surprise to anyone? I'm a college educated man. You don't even have to be college educated to sound right. articulate. Those are some of the issues, some of the symptoms of, of how we've been institutionalized to do certain things, you know, in America, right? And that's one of the big reasons why we're sitting here talking about the things we are today. Right. And that's why I tell these guys, and there's things that, and I won't get into too specific, specific, but there's things that I've learned. My parents were, were not racist. They were great people. And that's, I think, why I am who I am today. But they would still say little things that were racist or little things that were inappropriate. I guess that's a good way to say. And I remember them saying these things as I grew up and didn't think there was nothing wrong with it until I was about my 20s. And I was like, wow, you can't say that. And my dad would say some inappropriate things and we would all laugh it off and think it's funny and stuff. And not until I became an adult realized, sure, wow, you can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I made it a kind of a mental note to myself that I will not repeat those things. My son will never hear me say those things. And hopefully I can break that cycle and he's going to grow up not knowing any of these things. And I'm lucky. And that's one thing you talked about earlier uh, is the needle moving and stuff and how's it doing and who's going to help fix this. And I'm a real believer with the millennials and the group below, like our children. I'm praying that they're the ones that can finally put a stop to this. You know what I mean? And I'm fortunate. Like my son spends a week at his house pretty, pretty much every summer and he, Carson will call him dad for a week. You're and fortunate because you get rid of him for a week? <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, but that's what I love about my, that's what I love is, is I put my, I trust this guy a hundred percent and I love it that my son's learning something new. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I love that he's with Napoleon. And Which his, is funny, chasing the little blonde haired blue eyed kid <laughs> through the, the theme park. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, he, he, he said, yeah, he took my son to, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, Silverwood. Silverwood. Oh, yeah. And so he has, and he has my boy, and he told me everybody was looking at him like he just kidnapped a kid. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, I promise he's supposed to be with me. But, yeah. but I'm just, I'm fortunate that he's, I don't think my son. I don't think he sees color. Yeah. And it's cool because I, on purpose, have asked him to describe somebody who's talking about. And he says, oh, the kid, the kid in the the green shirt with the blue shoes or whatever. And it was the only black kid in the crowd. And he didn't say the black kid. It would have been so easy. And it, I don't know, it just made me proud. And I'm like, I hope that will can get pushed to all our children right now. Mm-hmm. And maybe our kids and the next generation, even though they drive us crazy, can somehow make a difference. Yeah. So I know my kids who are, they're all adults. They're in their thirties. My son's 28 or 29. So my daughter saying, we didn't know there was such thing as racism because in our home, we taught our kids that everybody's the same, no matter what in life, Mm -hmm. never said anything derogatory, even in private about anything. So for, for them, for our kids, it's like, well, once they got out in the real world, in a sense, because they were homeschooled and different things. So it wasn't the exposure till they got till they got out and saw it for themselves. Like, oh, there is a problem. Mm-hmm. So it, it's interesting. So hopefully raising our kids and grandkids, that, that will change. He uh, would cry when he'd have to leave my house for Thanksgiving <laughs> with all my, my nieces and nephews. My <laughs> son told me, and this is the honest truth, that he thinks Miguel would be a better father than me. <laughs> and that broke my heart. And I go, why? You know what he said? Because he will play PS4 with me. He will let me eat candy and I can drink soda. <laughs> so if anybody wants to know how to be a good father. Soda, be- PS4, and candy. And then you send them back home with a sugar rush. <laughs> uh, yeah. So kind of wrapping this thing up because I know we've been doing this for a while and obviously there's so much more we can talk about as you mentioned and maybe we'll have the opportunity to do that but don't give up on the white community in the sense of we want to 
But we don't have a choice because you guys are the ones who are going to rectify this. I know, that's, that's what I'm saying. 100%. But because there's, there's a scripture in the Bible that is Galatians 6, 9, and it talks about don't get tired of doing good because if you hang in there and be persistent about it, you will get the reward and the blessing you're looking for in that process. So that's what we want to continue to do good because I know for you, you're probably, you guys are probably at the point it's like, man, I'm tired of having to explain this thing. And talk about it. You guys need to come and help us do this. We're there, but don't give up on us. Is what I'm saying. Hundred percent. You know, you're right. We are tired of explaining it. But yeah. if we don't, are we part of the problem? You know what I mean. Yeah, this right. is this is the third time we've had this at this church. Well, at least you and I. So I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. No, and I appreciate that. I mean, <laughs> that, that's where we're at. That's, so that's really important. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess one last question. We don't have to belabor this because, but just how can the community be a part of, you know, bridging this issue to come together as a community? Is there that you can tell people that are watching? I think we've talked about a lot of it, right? We've talked about getting over feeling uncomfortable, getting over being offended by people bringing things up. Right. And you said something really important. You're like, don't give up on us. Right. Like, when I got up today, I was telling my wife, and I'll be honest, right? I said, you know, because I, I was all about this talk, right? When when you and I talked, you know, I talked to Miguel and Jimmy about it. And when I got up today, I said, you know what? I really don't even feel like going, mm. you know? And it's like, why should I have to go and explain myself mm. and, and constantly, like, explain and, like, belabor this to people and try to beat it into their skulls, you know? Because some of it is just, like... Like, can you not see this? Because you've you lived know? it for... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I told myself, you know, things like this, if anything, it, it's, it frees my heart, right? My heart weighs heavy because I care about my coworkers and my associates, my friends, you know, my family. I care about those people, right? They're people that are very important to me. And for me to feel as mentally and physically exhausted as I have the past couple of weeks, you know, mm. because our hearts weigh heavy, yeah. all of us, right? Yeah. Things like this... Like us to sit here and joke, you know, you know, and talk light and then, you know, talk about some serious issues. It can be it can be done. And this is a start. You only have to have one conversation. You don't have to make a global change. Nobody's asking anyone to lift up the world. They're just asking you to have a conversation with one person. If you have a conversation with one person, you've done something to move the needle. You've done something to, to bring about change. Right. So for me. This kind of lightens my heart and it makes me feel good that there are things that people can do within their community. You know, would this small thing help, you know, all of Washington State? No. Maybe. You know, it's possible, right? It's possible. But if I can do one thing to help the people in my community understand that how we feel as African-Americans and how we feel as the community and how we love one another, you know, despite our differences, that's important to me. And that, and that's the reason why I'm here. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Appreciate that. If I could say one thing, it would be to just be a good person. You know, when things are right, you know, when things are wrong, how many people who are white have been in a, a situation where they've been in a group of other white people and someone said a racist joke and when, but you didn't say anything. That can't happen. That's no longer excusable. If this needle, we keep using the needle, if the needle's ever going to be moved, that can't, that can't continue to go on. You can't continue to put your hand, your head in the sand like an ostrich. You've got to have these conversations and make uncomfortable become comfortable. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Any, anything in regard to that or you're... I think people just need to ask yeah. questions. I ask questions, but I, I got to honest because... What I love about these guys, I can ask them anything and they'll give me an honest answer. And I just need to ask for myself and be honest. And these are questions people are scared to ask. Does it make you mad when someone calls you an African-American? Or can I just call you an American? I'm really curious because your family's been here forever. I mean, yeah. I mean, they don't call me a European-American. Right. I'm Uh, black. That's what I was saying. So, I mean, that's, I don't that's, know. That's, that's personal preference. Yeah, I, I don't know. Okay, I don't um, know. Because I've, I've actually said African-American to someone before, and he goes, I'm black. So I'm that, not from Africa. That, that's some, and so it's like, I don't know. That's why. So some people's, that's some people's personal preference, and, you know, and I, people have some strong opinions about it. Some people don't. You know, it's just. Yeah, I'd rather be called that than the alternative. Yeah. <laughs> so I, for me, I don't care. Yeah. No, I get it, it's, and it's that's why. I mean, that's there's, but that's like that's what we call starting a conversation. Yeah. And I mean, 
it's like ask that person you asked and that's what I wanted to say and I kind of finished my last thing is I kind of challenge everybody who's watching this is find someone that's your friend that's a different color than you and have a conversation with them and ask these personal questions and and have a dialogue open and and do like we do we sit down and say hey I'm not trying to offend you I, I don't know I'm I just don't know, so I need you to tell Which me. Which is always truth. weird when you say that to me because we've been friends for over twenty years. <laughs> like, I still don't know. I'm learning. It's very complicated. This is a complicated situation. It's so. funny when you say that stuff to me. Uh, like, oh. <laughs> but he sure knows how to make me feel comfortable, though. That's fine. I wanted to just say something, and we'll wrap up here in a minute. But you know, for me, I'm I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian, and you know, I believe the Bible and what it says, and and I believe God the creator of the universe and in the Bible when it says he created human beings in his image, that's every human being that's ever thought of, ever been created, or ever will be created is in his image. And I think about what does that mean in his image? An image is something that's a reflection of who he is, right? And so we're all in God's image created and, and he created us all the same. And so I like that. And I think that's something that's important to live by. And the, the Bible talks so much about loving God and loving people. And, and those are the two greatest commandments. And so if I think if we can grab a hold of that and understand who our creator is and love him because he, he created us in his image, which is a good thing. And then if we love people, because there's also a scripture in, I think Romans 12, 21, it talks about not repaying evil with evil. I know Martin Luther King obviously used that too as well, but that's important that we Love conquers evil or light will conquer darkness. So if we focus on instead of trying to get back at somebody that we thought did something bad to us with something bad, right. but we do it and say, hey, I'm going to love you instead. My heart has always been to love people and maybe, you know, to a fault that sometimes like maybe comes back. I mean, it's like, well, that guy's weird or whatever, but you guys have known me for several years and I'm who I am, uh, whether I'm a home or here at church or whatever. And so I appreciate this opportunity and in all sincerity, I, I do want to say this to you guys. And it, and it is a bit emotional for me because I was thinking about this today and it, it did make me emotional when I was getting ready for this. And I just want to say on behalf of the church that I pastor, I do want to ask you guys for forgiveness for what's gone on and how we've missed this stuff and we've mistreated or we've said bad things and stuff. And, and it honestly affects me. So, but you don't, you don't it, have to ask us for forgiveness I, at all. You don't have to apologize for what's I, gone on. You don't have to apologize for being white. None of that stuff. I'm not apologizing for being white, but I just think that for me, because I, I believe in uh, that whole, whole process of, Hey, if you've done something and you recognize it, Say, I'm sorry, and will you please forgive me in that regard? And I, and I, I say that in all sincerity, and I, and I get what you're saying, but still, it's something that, that it's important and very meaningful, and, and it's freeing, because uh, when you guys say, yeah, man, we forgive you, it doesn't mean that, that I've got all this baggage that all of a sudden... <laughs> White guilt. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. But I, I just feel like... Because it makes me emotional to think about all this and the importance of what we're talking about right now. Right. And I'm in with you guys. I mean, honestly, I remember as a police officer, whatever I'm doing, and I understand the whole family dynamic of that as an officer, but man, I would take a bullet for you guys in a second. And that's the honest to God's truth. And I know that would be the case for you guys and so forth, but I just think, man, we're all created in God's image and he has a great plan for all of us. So I just think we're doing something good here and we're going to stick to it. We're going to keep this thing going. We're going to keep that. So I just had to, to say that and you're welcome to respond to that if you want to. And then we'll, I will we'll only it. forgive you if there <laughs> is brisket. <laughs> Other than that. Well, I'll tell you what, Jimmy makes pretty good brisket too, and mm. and I know it. we've shared this together. I know we've. I'm willing to take brisket from anybody <laughs> who wants to apologize for the way I've been treated. Well, I will take that as a, you know, as a yes, as a yes, yes, in, in that regard. So, no, yeah. 
And the second thing is, if we're ever in a situation where someone pulls a gun, I would use you as a shield. So <laughs> I know you will. I don't want you yeah. forgetting what you, you just said talked, what you just said about taking a bullet. Well, so, I'm not trying to die. So make sure you're on call. <laughs> <all the time. laughs> exactly. You just know to call the chaplain. It might be a little too late, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. Well, thank only, you guys. The only question I have is, uh, when are you going to shave your beard? I'm going to actually. Not <laughs> if Jane has anything uh, to do with it. She loves that. The only thing. reason she I have my beard is because oh, yeah. my wife likes it. But I'm getting rid of it. I promise. Uh, it's just a matter of when it's going to be. Pretty soon because uh, I don't really like it. Not so. according to Jane. She's like, <laughs> oh, whatever Mama Come says. On. Okay. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> George likes it. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so sorry you had to hear that. <laughs> any last. Last minute uh, things. I mean, no, just for people to just be a good person. Okay. It's real simple. There's no rocket science to this. Just be a good person and don't be afraid to say the wrong things. Don't apologize for being white. Don't apologize for things you can't control. Just be a good person. Yeah, appreciate it. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you guys. And uh, we just, oh, why do you want to mention this? That please come up with questions because you probably will have them. Email them to me, steve at citylifewa.com. You can email me your questions. We will take those questions and answer them. Hopefully, we'll get together next Wednesday night on the 17th and uh, field some of those questions live on our Facebook Live. Anyway, so definitely appreciate you guys again for doing this. It means a lot to me for sure. And uh, anyway, God bless everybody. Have a good time.